to it. Take your Bibles and open to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to circle back around at the end today to that passage that Pastor Nick just read from the book of Romans. But we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 4, or or should I say continue in Ephesians chapter 4 where we've been for the last several weeks. You know, I was thinking this week about this passage and about the practical implications of it. And I was thinking about when I first began pastoring and I was in a little town in north central West Virginia called Billington. Surely you all know where that is. <laughs> Nobody knows where Billington is. But I, I was there and I was pastoring and, and um, it's, it's just an old coal town. And so everything is kind of um, uh, brought together in the middle of the town. It's easy to go and and find people because everybody congregates in one place. And so one of the things I used to do regularly, because I didn't know what else to do, was I would walk down into town, and I would walk around the streets, and I would just catch people in the streets or in their yard or uh, at their businesses or walking down the street on the other side, and I would talk to them. And I'd talk to them about the community, and I'd talk to them about their life, and I'd try to get to know them. And of course, I wanted to talk to them about Jesus. And one of the things that I always would ask them at some point in the conversation was this question, some form of this question. Do you have a church home? And I got all kinds of different answers. Like I would get uh, some people who would say, well, yeah, I have a church home. And I go to such and such Methodist church and, or such and such a Baptist church or, or whatever. And they would tell me, yeah, I go to that church and I've been going there for 25 years, and do you know so-and-so and so-and-so, and we have a good talk. And then some people would say, yeah, I do have a church, but then they would sort of sheepishly admit that I have a church, but I don't go to my church. Uh, I have a church, and I haven't been in one year or two years or 20 years, but they still identified with a certain church. But then some people would give me the answer that, no, they don't have a church at all. And they would say, I'm a Christian, But I don't have a church. And they would say something along these lines. Pastor, I understand that you'd love for me to come to church or come to your church or any church. But I just think that you can be a Christian without going to church. Now, in a sense, they're absolutely correct. Like, hang with me for a minute. In a a sense, that's correct. We become Christians... Because we hear the gospel, right? You with me on that? That's how you become a Christian. You become a Christian because you've heard the gospel, because you've heard the truth that God is holy, that he's righteous, that he created us in his image, and that we've fallen into sin. And because of our sin, because of the way that we rebel against God, every one of us deserves to suffer the eternal wrath of God. But God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to live in our place and to die in our place as our substitute. And if we believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus as our Savior and follow him as Lord, the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And so you're saved when you hear the gospel and you accept the gospel And that can absolutely happen outside of the physical gathering of the church. But I would also say to the person who says, I can be a Christian without the church, I would say you're absolutely wrong. You need the church. You need the church. You say, well, what about the missionary who goes off to a jungle somewhere and there's no church there? They don't gather with the church. They don't go to church. What about them? Or what about the person who hears the gospel and accepts the gospel because they've been 
chatting with somebody on, on some type of app on their phone and they live in the middle of a Muslim-dominated city where there's no church and they can't even find another Christian, what about them? And I just say to you, well, there are exceptions to this. And God's grace is sufficient for all sorts of different exceptions. But as a rule, as a rule, you and I as Christians are meant to be part of the church. We need the church as Christians like fish need water. You know, fish Can a fish live outside of water? Right? It can for a while, depending upon the fish. Some of them can live longer than others. And depending upon the temperature and the humidity and the conditions around them, yeah, a fish can live out of water. But you keep a fish out of water for long enough, and what happens? It shrivels up and it dies. And, and Christians are like that in a sense. In a sense, we, without the church, eventually we'll start to suffer spiritually. We'll start to shrivel up spiritually. We'll start to choke spiritually. We need the church like a fish needs water. A Christian without a church really is a fish out of water. And so this morning, we're just going to talk about why we need a church. And over the past few weeks, and you can go back, by the way, and and listen online if you missed any of these weeks leading up to this, we've been talking about the the church and trying to gain a better understanding of the church. And we've talked about the nature of the church. I don't know if you remember that. We went to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and we talked about the truth that the church is supernatural and the church is is designed by Christ, purchased by Christ, sustained by Christ. It's a special institution. We talked about the purpose of the church last week. We went to Ephesians 3.10 and we saw that the church exists to display the manifold wisdom of God before the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We exist It's a staggering statement to display the wisdom of God in all creation, the purpose of the church. And today we're just going to get really practical and just get to the nuts and bolts, the shoe leather of it, and ask the question, well, why do I actually need the church? You can understand some things about the church, but why do you need the church? So look at our passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, and we're going to read down through verse 16. Now, we're not skipping one through six. We already went through those a couple of weeks ago and the marks of a worthy walk and what it looks like to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which we've been called as part of the church. But now in verse 7 and down through verse 16, Paul's going to tell us why we really need the church. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and hold on, we'll come back to this. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and saying he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. I'd love if you mark up your Bibles. That's a good one to underline. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Here's another one that you can underline. We are to grow up 
in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's quite a passage, and we're going to try our best to get a grasp on what it is that Paul's teaching us, and I'm going to move as quickly as I can through this. I think there's a PowerPoint back there. If there's somebody back there for you note takers, and I'm just going to answer the question, why do you need a church? Why do we need a church? And the first answer to that question that I see, and, and this one's not necessarily explicit here, but we're going to see that it's here nonetheless. The first reason I see is that we need a church so that we can gather with other Christians. And don't miss this. Don't miss the importance of this. We need a church so that we can gather together with other Christians. And I said it's not explicit here, but it's really in the fabric of everything we've been studying for the last couple of weeks. And it's in the fabric of this passage. It's woven in there. He didn't say it explicitly, but it's there implicitly. For instance, think about it this way. In the opening introduction, Paul greets the church. And when he greets them, he addresses his letter not to one person, not to one elder, not to one deacon, not to one teacher, not to one friend, but he says that this letter is to all the saints in Ephesus. He's addressing all the saints. And then we see beyond that, if we look at the language of these verses that we just read, that there's a certain language of togetherness in these verses. For instance, look at verse 7, where it says that grace was given to each one of us. It's given to us. Is he writing to one person? Until we, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And then in verse 14, I'm trying to slow down a little bit. My wife got on me last week. She said, you went too fast. Nobody kept notes last week. You just went too fast. And I did because I had like 47 things to tell you last week. And I had to go fast. But verse 14, he says, so that we may no longer be children. Verse 15, he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. And then in verse 16, he says, from, the, from whom the whole body is joined and held together. And so there's just this language here in these verses of togetherness. We're to be together. As a church, we're to gather together. And it's implied in these verses, but one of the principles we know is true is that we want to interpret and understand Scripture in light of other Scripture. And so I'd tell you that if it's implied here, it's explicit in other places. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's giving instructions about the Lord's Supper. And over and over again, if you go and read that passage, Paul uses one phrase over and over again, and it's the phrase, when you come together. So he's addressing the church, and he says, when you come together. And in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, he says it explicitly, as pointedly as he can, he says, when you come together, not as a family, not as a small group, not as some sort of parachurch organization, but he says, when you come together as a church, the gathering of the church. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's writing again, giving instructions about corporate worship. And here he says, again, when you come together. So what's the expectation? When we gather together, we're meant to gather together. He said, well, That's not good enough for me. Show me somewhere else. Well, Hebrews chapter 10, you know this one. And I know that people will argue this is not what it means. But I think when the Bible says something and says it clearly, it's exactly what it means. 
And here in chapter 10, Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, we have the clearest instruction about gathering together where the writer says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. It's all over the New Testament. Christians are meant to gather together. Listen, being a Christian is not a private matter. I know we live in a culture of privacy and individuality, if that's a word. We value that. We value our own space. But being a Christian is not a private matter. It's not an individual matter. We're not meant to go it alone. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. We're meant to be together. And, And before I go any further, I just, I want you to understand that I know what it's like to have the pressures of life that keep us from gathering together. I think a lot of people assume when pastors talk like this, they say, well, of course you can say that, Pastor, because you're always here when we gather together. I mean, this is your life. You don't have a life outside the church. <laughs> That's what people think. Of course the pastor's there. It's his job to be there. You know, I do actually work during the day, too. And on the weekdays, like you, I do actually do some things. But they say, well, it's just your thing. I want you to know, I understand the pressure. I have four children. I have a 20-year-old, an almost 15-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 3-year-old. Which is evidence, by the way, if you're visiting, that I am insane. That I have the kids stretched out like that. But I know what it's like to have to run this kid here and that kid there and to coach softball and to go to board meetings at HCYP and to do all the things to to try to have a life with my wife where we can go out and spend time. I get it. I get it. I know there's a lot to do. I know that we're busy people. By the way, that's not a good excuse because we all find time for the things we want to find time for. And I get it that we can also consume Christianity, if that's the right way to put it, nowadays in any way that we want to. I've mentioned this over the past couple of weeks when we've talked about the the church and our understanding of it and our desire to be a part of it, that I I get it that you could have stayed home today when Nick and I are traveling. For instance, sometimes we live stream somebody else's church service and you can watch it in the airport. You could have stayed home today. You couldn't live stream this service, but you could have found a million of them to live stream this morning. You could have watched their service. You could listen to the podcast tomorrow. You could have stayed home and done something else and still got the message. I get it. But I want you to understand that this is not an issue of convenience. This is an issue of obedience. I just want you to hear that. And I'm not being a legalist. I'm not. But it's assumed and it's commanded in Scripture that Christians should gather together. And if we're willfully not gathering together, if we willfully neglect gathering together with other Christians, then we are willfully walking in sin. I don't know how to say that any more clearly. I just want you to hear that because as your shepherd, part of my role is to guard you from doing exactly that. So to neglect the gathering together with other believers as a church on the first day of the week is a sin. And I want to encourage you to make a commitment to it. I want to encourage you to make a commitment to gathering with the church. Make it a priority for yourself. Make it a priority for your children. Because your children will grow up and they'll do exactly what you do in this regard. Make it a priority. 
And if you need to repent, then today's the day to repent and make a renewed commitment to the gathering of the church. Number two, I'll move on from that because I get such like blank looks like, please stop, please move on. Number two, we need a church in order to be equipped, in order to be equipped. Verse eight, we have this picture, this wonderful picture, which I could spend the rest of our time dealing with, but I just want to try to hit the high points of it. This wonderful picture of the ascension of Jesus and what that meant practically for us as Christians. And there's this beautiful statement where Paul quotes from Psalm 68. That's, by the way, when it says, therefore, it says he's basically just saying, therefore, Psalm 68 says it's quoting from the Old Testament. When he ascended on high, he led a host of uh, of captives and he gave gifts to men. And so here we have a picture of the ascension of Christ, and he uses a word picture that the psalmist also draws our attention to of something that would have been familiar in the ancient world, which is when a king would go out to battle and he would win the battle. Part of what would happen after he won the battle, and you can see this happening, by the way, if you read the Old Testament, is that the king would then take captive some of the people. And along with the people, he would take captive some of their uh, possessions. And, and these people were required, because they'd been conquered by this king, to pay tribute to the king. But the king didn't just get richer and richer and richer and keep all the tribute for himself. What would have actually happen is that the king would conquer his enemies, lead away the captives who would pay tribute to the king. And then the king would take the tribute that was paid, paid to him, and he would turn around and distribute it to his people. And so get the picture here before we move on from it. Just, just capture a glimpse of the wonder of it all, of Jesus ascending into heaven as the conquering king, leading a host of captives in his trail. He's conquered everything. One person said this week, and I love this quote. One theologian said, The principal captives that were in that entourage were not the kings and rulers of this world so much, so much as it were the powers and principalities of evil. They came in chains behind him. This man said, I don't know who all was in that group, but I know that among them was a serpent with a crushed head who was now a captive of the triumphant Jesus. And so we have Jesus ascending into heaven and then in turn distributing gifts to his church. And so what are the gifts? Verse 11. And he gave, here they are, the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. The gifts that Jesus distributed to the church were these people listed in verse 11. The apostles, and these are a special group, you know. This group was a special group designated, commissioned by Jesus, having special authority over all the churches. They became foundational to the church. We're reading their writings when we say that we believe in an apostolic faith, we believe in a faith based upon these writings that the apostles gave us under the authority of Jesus, but that passed away with the apostles. There are no more apostles. And then he says, and there are prophets and there are evangelists, and these are people who shared God's message, foretold God's message in different ways, and they traveled about and they weren't bound by one geography. They kind of traveled around. So we might say that some of these were like modern day missionaries. They went out with the message to different places. But then he says, this last group, and these are the ones that we're particularly interested in today, are shepherds and teachers. And this isn't two groups. This is one being described with two words, and these are just the pastors of individual congregations, individual gatherings of churches. And they were tasked with caring for one congregation. Now he says that he gave them to do what? 
to equip you. It's not hard, it's there. Look, to equip the saints. He gave them to equip the saints. To equip. And that word itself is really interesting. The word equip, it's an interesting word. It's used sparingly in the New Testament. One of the ways that we understand it when we look in Greek is that it was used to describe a surgical procedure where a doctor would set a bone back in place that was broken. Same word. Or it was used, get this. You're going to love this. It was used in politics to describe the way two opposing political parties would come together and work on something for the greater good. It was used to describe the way a fisherman would mend his nets after being out fishing. The nets get torn and broken and they have to mend the nets. It really just means to put something back in the order that it was meant to be. That's what it means. It means that the function of the pastor is to see that the members of his congregation are, are educated and guided and cared for and sought after so that they become what they were meant to be. So they're put into the state for which they ought to be. And the goal of that equipping is maturity. Look at verse 13 and 14. It says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And there it is again, so that we may no longer be children. So the pastor is supposed to equip you so that we can grow up and mature in Christ. Now, I think that we can help ourselves by just understanding better this whole process and letting go of some things that I think is are flooding into our consciousness about Christian maturity and how to attain it. And I, I think that we view this process far, as a far too mystical process. Like we're hoping for a breakthrough. Like we can just pray and read enough and praise enough and serve enough that maybe we'll just break through to the next level. It's really not... A mystical thing. In fact, if we went on and read, and this isn't in my notes, but I want you to look at it. Look at verse 17. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their what? Their minds. For they're darkened in their understanding. There it is again. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you, what? Learned Christ. It's not a mystical thing. Think of it this way. Um, We send our children to school to do what? To learn. And they go to school and the teachers are there and the teachers are prepared and the teachers stand ready to equip the children. And part of the process is as they get older, they learn new things. They, they deal with bigger ideas. They, they, they're, they're invested in. And, and as part of that process, part of the process of them being educated leads them to become more mature people. And in a sense, it's not... Just like that, but in a sense it kind of is like that. That the pastor is meant to teach you and to invest in you and so that you can be equipped and so that you can understand and that so your thinking can be arranged in the proper way, the way that we learn Christ. And then so doing that, we become mature. And there's another analogy that I just wrote down this morning 
that I think is important to say, and that's that it, in reverse, we need to look at it in reverse too. You know, when I was a student, I was a notoriously horrible student. To my shame. I mean, I was just a, a horrible student. I was not a disciplinary issue. Like, I didn't act up. I didn't fight. I didn't rebel in that sense. I just didn't want to do my work. I would come to school and my kids are in here, so you guys do not emulate this. If you do, you're going to be in big trouble. But I would go to school and, and I would put my head down on my desk and just go to sleep. I'm not kidding. They sent me the guidance counselor one time and they, wanted, they met with me and said, why won't you do your work? Why won't you do it? I said, I don't know. I just don't feel like it. I just didn't want to do it. And so my teachers were prepared. They were trained. They were ready. They were faithful. But I was not interested in participating. And so I couldn't be taught. I couldn't learn. I couldn't grow up the way that I should. And I think that pastors and teachers need to understand, or you need to understand in the same sense, pastors and teachers are here to equip you and invest in you. And if your pastors and teachers are prepared and faithful in teaching God's word, but the saints are unwilling to participate, then the equipping of the saints is short-circuited. We're in this together. Right? We're in it together. So it's important to know that we invest in order for growth and maturity. And we invest, I invest in you so that you can invest in each other. This is the third point. So why do we need a church? Why do we need a church? We need a church to gather together. We need a church so that we can be equipped. And then last, we need a church so that we can exercise our gifts. Look at verse 12 again. Where he says he gave us these gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So you're not being equipped for the sake of being equipped. You're not being equipped just for you. You're being equipped for what? For the work of the ministry. And then doubling down on that, you're being equipped for what? For the building up of the body of Christ. And then look at verse 16 from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. There it is. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, I said I would circle back around, all the way back around to the passage that Nick read earlier in Romans 12. And you don't have to turn there, but just listen. Romans 12, chapter or verse 4, 5, and 6, Paul says this. It says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. In verse 6, it's the verse I'm particularly interested in, where he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. You hear that? So you've been given gifts, but what good is a gift if it's not used? So having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. We need a church to exercise our gifts. And by the way, the church is the primary place, the gathered body 
of the church. The gathering, the physical gathering of the church is the primary place where believers are told and exhorted and commanded to exercise their gifts. It's not the only place, but it is the primary place. So if you say, well, I have these gifts, but I'm more concerned about using them at work or using them at the ball field, good, use them there. But the primary place you use your gifts is here for the sake of building up the body of Christ. And one of the spiritual gifts listed in Romans 12 is the gift of service. And let me just say to you, um, this gift, I've seen this gift at work this week in our church, and it has been glorious. Like, really? Uh, Most of you know that my father-in-law was in the hospital and got out, had a procedure, got a little tune-up. And every once in a while you go in and you get a little tune-up, right? You got a little tune-up. He's here, he's good. He went in and got a little tune-up, but he decided to stay with us for a week or so. And, and you as a church family, some, some of the ladies came to my wife and said, let us make meals for you. And we did what a lot of people do. And we said, oh, we're okay, we're okay, we can handle it. And said, no, let us do it, let us serve you. And she said, okay, do it. And, and this is the first, I mean, we've had meals sporadically over the years for different things. This is the first time where, for us, and I know this has happened for others in the church, but for us, this is the first time where we've experienced that every night somebody brought a meal, showed up at our house and brought a meal and fed our family so that we didn't have to worry about it. So our life didn't have to be disrupted and so that we could just focus on Paul Paul and getting him better. And I want you to know that it's glorious to see people using their gifts in the church. The gift of service is not a little thing. I mean, just think of the truth in the context of the truth that we exist as a church to display the wisdom of God, to put him on display, to make his glory visible, to make the gospel visible, to show love, our love for one another as a manifestation of Christ's love for us. Think about that in the way that we serve one another. We're doing those things. The gospel's becoming visible in our homes, in our lives as you exercise your gifts. That's what we're doing. We're accomplishing the purpose for which the church exists, which is to display the wisdom of God before all the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. It's a big deal. Now, there's other ways, and we're going to eat chili. But there's other ways that we could say, uh, or other things that we could say about why we need a church. There are other, other things. And we could look at other examples in the Bible. We could say that we need a church in order to experience corporate worship. That's a no-brainer. You can't experience corporate worship alone. I mean, you just can't. You can't experience, uh, we, we would say we need it to experience real, meaningful community the way God intended it. That's true. That's what happens within the church. We say we need a church to help us accomplish the mission that Jesus set before us in Matthew 28. Like, we need the church. There's no Lone Ranger missionaries. We need the church. Those are all true, but today we start here, and I just want you to think about this. and Think about it in context, and I know some of you haven't been here for the whole context, so go back and listen if you can, but think of it in the context of all we've said about the nature of the church and the purpose of the church. And then we say, well, why do we need a church? We need a church to be obedient. We need a church to gather together with other Christians. We need a church so that we can be equipped for the works of ministry, and we need a church so that we can exercise our gifts. To quote... Somebody, I can't remember, but I remember the quote. 
the Christian life, and don't hear this in a legalistic way. I don't mean it that way. You know me well enough to know I don't mean it that way. But I think there's a mountain of biblical evidence that teaches us this truth, that the Christian life is the churched life. You need a church. Desperately, we all need a church.